0: But before we get there, I want to remind us of some some differences between David and Saul, because really, and I said this last week, a lot of these last three to four chapters are all happening at the same time, you know. So, so if you were watching a movie, you know, for chapter thirty and thirty-one, especially, there's a strong possibility that the battle David is in right now uh, with with uh, these men, the Amalekites, is going on at the exact same time that Saul is probably getting his butt whipped by the Philistines. Uh, so, if we we're watching a movie, you know, you'd almost see that. That director would be cutting, you know, back and forth between these two battles, showing us that it's happened at the same time. So keep that in mind while we read a lot of this stuff, because today shows us and next week will show us the opposite, uh, a big contrast between David and Saul. David was able to succeed because he was a man that decided I'm going to do things God's way, uh, which is why we titled this morning, doing it his way instead of our way. Uh, Saul got in a lot of trouble because he wanted to do things his way. Uh, and since we're back at the Amalekites, I want to remind you of something that I think is very important uh, because of the difference in how these two men handled it. Uh, one of the reasons Saul lost his kingship was back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and he refused to do things the way God had told him to do it. Uh, he thought he knew better than God, and rather than destroy all the Amalekites and all their stuff and and everything that that you know he was told to get rid of, he thought I should keep some of this stuff and I should let some of it go. And I know better than God knows. And I think for a lot of us, if we were to destroy the enemy, we were supposed to destroy a long time ago. We wouldn't have had to fight as long as we've had to fight. And that's what gets Saul in a heap of trouble, because he decided to refuse God's word and destroying an enemy completely that he was supposed to destroy. We got the Amalekites here all the way into chapter 30. And really, I guess a few of them survive until the book of Chronicles. But. Uh, Hezekiah takes care of them completely and they're gone forever. But, uh, you know, you read stuff like this, and, and if you were back at chapter 15 with us and you heard that command of God saying, I want you to completely destroy a people group, it's easy to read that and think, man, why is God being so harsh against these people? And I, and I just want to remind us of, of that because the things that God does are for a reason. Uh, He is just. Uh, He's a man of His word. So, as you think about this, you'd have to go all the way back to Acts chapter, or Exodus, I'm sorry. We're not going back to so Acts, that'd be way forward. Uh, we got to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 17 and the Amalekites attacked the Israelites uh, while they were defenseless and, and unprovoked and, and making their escape out of uh, the wilderness and, and making their journey. God gives them a victory, but he says this in verse 14 of chapter 17 that he would remove the Amalekites from the face of the earth for attacking his people. So notice that promise. He said, I'm going to remove them completely from the face of the earth and I think he really wanted it to happen in First Samuel chapter 15 when he commanded Saul to. Yet Saul chose to neglect God's word and do things his way. So David has to take care of business and, and a few flee. And then Hezekiah fulfills God's promise completely then. Uh, plus, the Amalekites were also part of an ungodly nation in Canaan where, where God's judgment was just mad at the evil practices that was going on. Uh, so there will come a time when God just had enough of stuff and he will make a judgment call. On it, and he may use us to, to do that. So Saul failed to, to respond. David doesn't. Uh, the Amalekites are, are gone, except for the few that are mentioned that flee. Uh, they don't. E- we don't even hear the word Amalekite again until 1 Chronicles chapter four verse forty three, when Hezekiah finds these final few that had that had fled away, and he completely wipes them out, and they're gone uh, forever. So here's what I want you to picture, though, because I think the picture of this. It's just huge when we talk about doing things God's way. And number one is this. If you're going to do things God's way, you got to start with God. Seems pretty easy, right? If I'm going to do it God's way, i got to start with God. If I don't start with God, there's a problem. Uh, but I wonder, how many times do we attempt to do things without giving God any thought? How many times do we jump to doing something because of an emotional drive? Because of a feeling that we have? Because our heart told us to do it. We know we love the... The heart, right? Well, scripture says your heart is evil. Uh, so, and I think we can all relate with that. Our heart sometimes gets us in a, in a heap of trouble. Uh, so how many times do we do stuff without acknowledgement of God and bringing God into it? And if we want to start with God, we got to find our strength in God. So so picture David and his men. If you were with us last week, they were all battled up, you know, ready to go fight. They get there, you know, they've been away from their home, their, their, their people for, for 16 months, and, and they finally think some people have started to accept them. And the Philistines look and say, we we don't accept you. You don't belong here. Get your butt back away from us. Y'all go back to Zinglag and and y'all just tend to your stuff there. So they're even even rejected an area they finally thought they had they had made home. Maybe some of you can relate to that, you know, been rejected repeatedly over and over and over again. And then finally, you you make the, the consequence of falling into into the trap of staying with your enemy and then even your enemy rejects you because you don't belong and, and believe me when your enemy rejects you guys that can be a really good thing uh, as we find out very clearly for for David and them here so they get there this is going on they they turn around and here's what they find out one through six that Crystal just read one through six it, it says that they get back to their camp and you can imagine I want you to picture this now because when I say there's two movie scenes going on I really believe two good movie scenes are going on right now and this scene you got David and his 600 men they're dressed up for battle. They're walking. It says they made this journey in three days. If they made it in three days, for those of you that hadn't taken time to look at a map, that's 25 miles a day by foot, fully loaded, all their baggage, all their, all their equipment. I mean, everything. So 25 miles a day, fully, I mean, they're humping it, man. And I point that out to say this. Can you imagine how tired, how exhausted, how weary they would have had to have been? Not just physically, but emotionally. Spiritually, because they're fighting a spiritual battle because they didn't know when it come to that battle, they didn't know for sure what was gonna happen when that battle actually started. You know, they're going against God's people for the first time, or possibly would have been going against God's people for the first time. I mean, they're beat up. And you can imagine if you've been making a journey like this and you round that corner and, and you know, like that's my hometown, right? We're only a couple miles away. Maybe a little bit of adrenaline that would kick in, a little bit of excitement. They're gonna be rushing out to meet me and welcome me. Like they've missed me for so long, they're gonna be so happy that we've returned, that we survived this this battle that we thought we were going to be in. And it's going to be great. And you get closer and you get closer and you get closer and you see this smoke just burning. And you look and you notice, man, there's no way that's just from, you know, cooking. There's no way that's just for warmth. There's no way they're having a bonfire and doing s'mores. Uh, You know, there's something, something serious is going on. So maybe you pick up pace a little bit. And again you're thinking well the first person that sees me and they're gonna announce it and everybody's gonna come running out to greet me because I've been gone for so long and I'm so tired and I'm so upset and I'm so worried but nobody ever comes to greet you nobody runs out you see nobody and then when you finally make it into your town you realize the smoke that you saw was your town being burned up everything your flocks are gone your your your, your materials are gone your your equipment's gone and then you realize you know what there's there's no bodies. Laying on the ground. So, so you understand, well, well, they didn't kill people. They took the people with them. They took they took our own wives, my own children, and they're making slaves out of them. Now, you now you imagine how you feel right now. You're already exhausted, tired, everything else. You finally thought you were coming home to the one thing you thought you had. And now that's ripped away as well. I mean, these guys are in a low, low spot. And these guys are warriors. Warriors. But scripture tells us something real important right here, guys, rather than let their their drive be driven by emotions and feelings. It says something real significant about David. It said that David stopped and he found his strength in the Lord. Now, David's a warrior, man. He's a fighter. And, you know, anybody who's a fighter, when you don't mess with mama and you don't mess with all your babies, that fighter's ready to roll. You know what I'm saying? Like he's ready to go kick butt. He's ready to take care of business. He's ready to whoop some tail. And get the show on the road. But rather than let all those emotions and feelings drive him, it says that David stopped and he sought his strength in the Lord. Now, I just got to point that out at the very beginning. If we're going to start with God, we got to find our strength in God. Rather than letting our emotions push us to do things, we need to let God be the one pushing us to do things. Even when it seems so right. Now, the King James says this. and um, I just pointed out because I know a lot of you guys use it. It says, now it happened in verse one. Now it ha- well, it certainly happened. But when you read now it happened, it sounds like there's there's like just a coincidence thing taking place. And none of this is a coincidence. Everything that God's allowing to happen in David's life is for a distinct purpose. He sent him back at that moment because if he'd arrived any later, he wouldn't have had time to catch his wives and children and his men's wives and his men's children and and, and all the stuff. If they'd arrived any later. Who knows what could have happened by the time they got back home? And who knows what exactly would have happened? And, and David now gets to a part where everything he thought he had strengthened is ripped away. Everything. And I'm going to let you know, because some of you guys can relate with this. And some of you guys have been there. You're there right now, or you may get there one day. And I want you to know, when you've got nothing left, it's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be. Because when you've got nothing left, that's when you have to rely on the strength of God. And that's where David's at. Think about David now. In these first verses, it says that even his own men have now started thinking against him. For the first time. First time in David's leadership, guys. All the stuff he's been through. All the stuff he's done. And here it is. They're saying his own men are thinking, we're going to stone him. He cost us our cattle. He cost us our stuff. My wife and my kids are gone. We're going to take care of him. We are sick of what he's been doing. But David's able to prevail because he does things God's way. He actually invites God into the situation like God's not already there. But I want to point that out because sometimes I think we we should do a little bit more inviting of God into our situations, because as long as you're thinking you're handling it on your own, <laughs> man, you you're 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 fooled. You're fooled into the enemy's way of doing things. This world is very hurtful. It's unpredictable. And we need the strength of God. David writes this in Psalm 28, verse seven. He says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. And I am helped by him. Church, when you get times like the beginning of chapter 30, you got a choice. Either hard times are going to make you bitter or hard times are going to make you better. David's men got bitter. Rightfully so. They're in a bad place, man. They've lost everything. It says that they weep and weep and weep. They weep so much they had no strength left. Now, I think I think Scripture's painting a picture here of some men who are dirty, wore out. I mean, strong men. Now, these were fighters. I mean, these are the guys you sent. These were these were David's chosen warriors. You know, these, these are these are the elite guys. They've been trained and ready to take care of business. Now, after all this time they spent with David, they came as nobodies. But I mean, now they're they're the top notch people. And there they are just poured out on their knees, weeping and crying, crying so much that they've got no strength left to even get up is what it says. And when you read this and you and you know a lot of this story and you get to verse six where it says, but David's strength, the end of verse six, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You can't help but think about all the weeks we've spent looking at how much it took for David to finally get back to this place right here. I can't help but wonder sometimes maybe some of you are are the same thing. Why in the world is backslidden and wayward David getting strength from God now? And then I'm reminded because God is rich in his grace and his mercy. Because God is great in his love. Because God loves for us to be completely broken. Because it's when we're completely broken that we're ready to be filled. You know, sometimes we fall in a trap in the the new age world of thinking we have to do something to achieve God's greatness. David shows us you ain't got to do nothing to achieve God's greatness. It it says this. Read read that verse again. Some words really stand out in this verse. It says David strengthened himself. Everybody, you ought to underline himself in there right there. Because David didn't wait for someone else to strengthen him. He didn't just sit back and say, you know what, God, I'm done with it. Whenever you're ready, you strengthen me. No, it says that David strengthened us. He understood that it was on him what was going to happen next. And we need to understand and start manning up and quit whining and quit complaining all the time and understand what happens next in your life is on you. It's on you. It's on how you're going to handle the situation you're in, how you're going to handle the battle you're in, how you're going to handle loss. They've lost everything. Some of them get bitter. But yet David takes time for himself to get right with God. It says that he he was strengthened himself. Then you can next I underline the next part in the Lord. In the Lord. This wasn't some kind of cheerleader mumbo jumbo hyped up excitement speech. This was strengthened the living God. This was strengthened. This was making a, a real connection in his heart, a hurting man. Strength for recognition, strength for brokenness, strength for repentance, strength for a determination to go back and get what the enemy has taken. The same strength that was going to raise Jesus from the dead later on in Scripture. This is the same strength you and I need. David strengthened himself in the Lord. God. How did he do it? How did he do it? I, That's what I wrote on, on, on my notes Monday. I think it was the very first hour. I said, how did he in a moment like this? Fine. Now, it's not written there, but you got to understand when you go back and look at David's Psalms and you look at David's attitude and it's written there. The very first thing David did when you say how. So some of you thinking, how do I get this strength? Here's how right here. Number one, you got to remember God's love for you. You've got to remember that God loves you, that God is crazy about you. And I want to point out something. When David remembered God's love, notice where he remembers it at in the moment of rejection. He's rejected by everybody. The Philistines have rejected him. His own men have rejected him. I mean, he's got no, his wife and kids are gone. He's got nobody. It's in that moment of rejection that he realizes, man, God loves me. Sometimes you got to get to a broken spot, guys, so that you can realize how much God really does love you. So that you can realize just how much he really cares. You can say it this way. That which stung David the most became the sweetest to him. That moment of rejection. I can't imagine how bad it stung. I can't imagine when he came back to his camp, how much it stung in his men, his own men. The final friends that he's got looked at him and said, we're about to stone you, sucker. I mean, you imagine that feeling and that that sting. But then that's that sweet, most precious thought of God's love. Another thing David had to do that we see he repeated in the Psalms multiple times. Not only did he remember God's love, he remembered God's promise and God's calling on his life. A lot of us forget the promise of God and the calling of God on our life. David got to this point, and I guarantee he had to shake his head, clear the fog out. And he had to remember, I am an anointed man of God. I am called to be the next king of Israel. I have a high calling on my life and nobody's taken this away yet. I have a destiny. And God has promised his destiny to me. And because of that, I need to remember that. And when you remember God's promise and God's calling, man, it allows you to do this. you also remember the past deliverances. That's what David did. Third, David, remember his past deliverances. He remember, man, I'm in a terrible spot, but I've been in a lot of terrible spots. I've been out there attending sheep when a lion and a bear came about. I- I've been out there when a giant was talking trash about God. And, and I was a little runt standing in front of him with a slingshot. I, I've been there when I had to fight hundreds and hundreds of soldiers and it looked like we were outnumbered and I made it through. He remembered every past deliverance that he had. He remembered this, that if God delivered me before, he can deliver me again. And if God delivered me then, it must be because he's still got a plan for me in the future. And a lot of us today need to remember that. God's been delivering you through a lot of junk because he's still got something for you. Think about it. Why would he keep delivering you if he didn't still have something great for you to do? a great calling on your life, a great destiny for you. Keep in mind this. David got in this mess by what he said in 1 Samuel 27.1. If you don't remember it, he said this. He said, man, all else is doomed. Saul's definitely going to get me. I'm going to be over. And that's when he decides to flee into enemy territory. Your words have more power over your mind than anything you could ever imagine. He thought that this is what gets him in a mess for 16 months, guys. This is what gets him to the darkest possible spot he's ever been in his walk. Yet the same thing that got him into the mess is the same thing that gets him out of it. Because it's his words that get him out. Any of y'all talk to yourself? Well, Okay, you shouldn't admit that it's a lot. And and hands going up was a bad idea. People are going to think really weird thoughts about you. Well, as long as you don't answer yourself, I guess that's all right, right. Spurgeon says this right here. I think it's so true. Spurgeon says some of the best talks in the world are those which a man has with himself. He who speaks to everybody except himself is a great fool. Think about that. Think about that. Now, some of y'all been hiding that y'all talk to yourself. It's all right to let that out. Let it be known that you talk to yourself. Look like the weirdo. okay? there's there's where David's at. David's got to talk to himself and realize these things so that because when we talk to ourselves, right, we, we, we play that game in our head. Then we realize now it's time for me to talk to God. And that's where he starts when he starts with God. Another thing, he, he seeks God's will through prayer. Look at verses 7 through 8. Verses 7 through 8, we get, we get a really cool picture. A picture we, we looked at in previous chapters with, with Abathar, the high priest, with, with the ephod, the, the special garment that the priest used for guidance of the Lord. And, and know this, that was a, a specific way that God told the Israelites they could seek his will during a specific time of history. Okay, this, this, was, this was a plan. Study, study that kind of stuff. What David's really doing here that we need to write down for ourselves is David's going back to the word of God because it was the word of God that told him and commanded him to be able to use this stuff this way. Same for us today. We ought to be going back to the word of God so that we can be guided to do things God's way. And and, and a neat note here, if we talk about all these chapters at the end being together, if you were with us weeks ago when we looked at uh, Saul hanging out with a witch in a territory he wasn't supposed to be in and, and getting advice that way. This most likely happened the exact same time David is right here. So you got the contrast of David seeking the will of God, going about it God's way. Bring the high priest, bring the special garment that, that most likely was probably the high priest's garment, which had, you know, those stones and, and stuff on it that we talked about weeks ago, too. You know, bring all that so that I can seek God's will in this situation. And then you've got Saul who bypasses God and goes to a witch. To get the words that he wanted to receive so that he could do things that he wanted to do. Which one are you this morning? Are you surrendering to God despite now you can imagine how much emotion David had now his wife and his kids are gone. All his people are gone. All his money's gone. All his stuff's gone. You can imagine that he wanted to go do things his way. But yet he says, you know what, if if I'm going to recover from this backslide, if I'm going to recover from from my years of wandering in the wilderness for 16 months, wilderness being with the enemy and enemy territory, then I'm going to start right now to do everything God's way. And I'm going to seek God's will on every decision I have to go about. So the very first thing he does is says, God, what's what's it to you? Am I allowed to go back and get my people or am I not? And I really believe whatever God's answer was going to be at that moment would have been what David would have surrendered over to do. Yet you have Saul over here at the exact same time saying, you know what? God's not answering fast enough. I'm going to go get the answer I want. And basically they paid these witches to to give reports. Okay, so so two totally different ways of handling things. James in the New Testament makes it clear for us today. we five. If any of you lacks wisdom. He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I can't think of how many times people say, well, I, I just don't know the things that, that other people in the church know. Well, James just said, if you don't know it, seek wisdom from his word. If you don't know it, find it out. If you don't know it, check it out. If you don't know it, ask. If you don't know it, pray. If you don't know it, sit down with some strong believers and study God's word and find stuff out. Now, if someone say, well, I don't have a high priest like Avatar. What? You've got Jesus Christ who is our high priest. He is much higher than Avatar. He's much higher than an instrument or a special garment that would have been worn, okay? So so stop with all that. Well, we don't have what they had back then. No, we've got better than they had. Full, full better, okay? Look at what he asked in verse eight. I can't imagine David's voice when he asked this thing, by the way. Shall, shall I pursue them? I wonder if he, if he spoke out loud. You ever heard like people when they pray out loud, you wonder like, Why is he praying that way? You know what? Was he really? His men were probably listening like, what do you mean, shall we? We about to go whoop some tan? you know, what do you mean, shall we? Shall I overtake them? You know, he's he's returned guys. He He's fully acknowledging the fact that nothing's no longer going to be done just because that's the way we did it before. Maybe that's something for the church today, huh? How many, how many things have we gotten ourselves in trouble to as people, as believers and as churches? Because we continue to do things because that's the way they've always been done. Right? David says, I'm not going to continue to do things just because that's the way they've always been done. I'm going to seek the will of God. And I'm going to ask God about everything before I pursue anything. And that's where he goes. And he gets an answer in verse 8. Pursue. For you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, you're going to recover everything. What do you think David was thinking when he heard that? Now, now, God, I don't know if you realize See, that's what some of us will get a revelation from God and then we'll question God's revelation. We do. We get you're going to recover everything. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. They took like that one goat that had like the special marking on his leg. And I don't know if I'm going to get that exact goat back. Uh, I really like that goat because he was really nice and, and he headbutted, you know, the children when they went out there and told him to behave. And you know, we, God said you're going to get everything back. Don't second guess, God. Don't don't wonder about, you know, well, 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 God, what do you really mean by everything? David gets a command, pursue. Then David gets a promise. You will. You will overtake and you will get everything back. Church, when God gives you something to do, he also gives you a promise about what happens when you do it. Okay? And we need to understand that. And we need to start, when we get God's promise, we need to act on that promise. Look at verses 9 through 10. He acts on the word of God. David knows God's will in the situation. He doesn't sit around any longer. He immediately acts in faith. He tells David to pursue and David pursues. Right? Think about this now. And I want you to notice the same men that were about to stone David are still sitting there with David. But yet now they're getting ready to join David. Write this down. Your walk of faith will drastically affect those you're around. Your walk of faith, whether you like it or not, for good or for bad, will drastically affect the walk of other people. I watched it yesterday. Uh, Bubba Reese had a, his little birthday party. And uh, for 10 years, I think we've had flag football for a birthday party. Uh, the boy just loves football. So, you know, they're over there playing and you watch it. The minute one, one of the leaders in the group begins to have a negative attitude, it spreads like wildfire and everybody else gets a negative attitude. The minute that one kid is smart enough to say, you know what? This probably isn't right to, to get a positive attitude back that positive attitude begins to come back. You know, they're about the most bipolar group you've ever seen. One minute there. Right? Next to a women's Bible study. I mean, uh oh. Thank you for that one clap, brother. We can sleep in a doghouse together tonight, right? Notice what happens though, guys. Here's what what we got to make sure we understand in this this moment. If we're going to look at this thing like a movie, David doesn't pause David doesn't pause to, like, mend relationships. Now, there's a time for mending relationships. I'm not saying there's not. But David now has a command from God. So you can almost picture like this by the way this is worded and the interpretation I'm getting. Is David goes back to his men and he says, I'm going because I have a promise from God about victory. And I'm going to believe God for that promise. It doesn't matter whether you guys come with me or not. If you don't come with me, I'm going to go fight them all by myself because God's done promised me that I'm going to win. And you can imagine the attitudes of the men around there. And when they heard David speak like that, the faith that served those 600 people went crazy, guys. Because the very next sentence we get, the very next word we get is that David and his 600 men were dressed and marching. They were ready to go. We need some men who will stir God's other men into action. And we need some men who are willing to get into the action for stuff, right? Picture this site. David and 600 men on the march against the enemy. They're not going to fight for the Philistines anymore. They're not even going to fight for themselves anymore. They're on the march to go fight for God now. God has given them this command. And I don't believe there was an army on earth that could have stood up to David and these 600 men as they marched for the will of God during this thing. But as all good movies, you get this little little glitch that has to happen in the middle. They're marching. They're hyped up. They're yelling. They're excited. And then they get to this brook. Everybody gets a drink. Two hundred of the men. Now you're already underpowered to be honest with you, okay? No matter how much of a motivating speaker David was, no matter how much faith they had, realistically, they are going to be outnumbered when they get to the Amalekites. Okay? You're normally going to be outnumbered as a child of God when you have to fight the enemy, okay? They're already outnumbered. And they stop for this drink and everybody gets suited back up except for two hundred people. And the 400 are looking back and they're saying, guys, what are you doing? Get your clothes back on. We we got some, we got some tail to go kick. And 200 of them say, man, I'm too tired. I, I'm slam jam, wore out, and there's nothing else I can do. And at this point, we really don't know what the discussion was. But all we know is this. It says that David and his 400 men, they, they kept on going. You know, it'd be easy when a third of your army drops out to say, you know what, maybe we should second guess this thing. But they don't. David and 400 of them, it says they continue to march forth to take care of them. And here's the lesson for us right now that we need to grab a hold of a lot of us. When God means to bless us, sometimes he'll even take away that last little bit of strength you thought you had. Think about it. They're outnumbered with 600, but at least they can look around and be like, you know what? We got 600. And you can begin to get just a little bit of confidence in your number. And then God to say, you know what? I don't want the confidence in the number. I don't want the confidence in the man. I want the confidence in me, so I'm going to drop off 200 of them. And I'm going to take away just that little bit more that you thought you had. We said it earlier with David and his men. Our God doesn't fill until something's been emptied. God's not going to occupy and share space with anything else in your life. Some things have to be emptied so that he can fill them. And God told David to pursue the Amalekites, and David acts on this. James chapter 1, 22 through 24. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves to what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says, it's like a man who looks in a mirror and after seeing himself goes away and immediately forgets what he's looked like. When we read God's word, we got to act on God's word. we got to find strength in God. we got to seek God's will, and we got to act on God's will, not our own. Because then what we do, here's what happens. Number two, section number two, just asking for God to the start. That's what a lot of us do, isn't it? We'll pray real hard for the beginning of something, right? But why do we stop then though? Why don't we keep God front and center? Cause, cause number two is this, you gotta go with God, not just start with God, you gotta keep on going with God. Like, God's not there just for the beginning and, and, and we always call on Him at the end, right? God's there for the whole journey. And we need some people who are gonna have perseverance and understand some things that, that when we act on God, not just for the beginning, we're gonna carry God through the entire journey, the entire mission, and the entire trip. Because when you do, here's what's happen- awesome, man. I love this. You realize this right here. This is a big one for me personally. Interruptions may just be God's opportunities. Interruptions may just be God-given opportunities. Look at this picture. you got 400 men still dressed up, ready to roll, right? They're marching. They're moving. And they notice this guy out in the desert. He's sick. He's, depl- he's so sick and depleted, by the way. Keep in mind, he's so sick and depleted that his, his owner... The, the Amalekite raider who owned him left him. You know what? Well, you're worthless to me. I'm not. I'm not going to feed you anymore. I'm not going to worry you. You're worthless. I'm not going to waste any more time on you. And he left him. And as these guys are marching for their greater mission, because I know that's what the church folks call it, right? Oh, I've got a greater mission. I'm supposed to be aiming toward. But while you're in pursuit of your greater mission, what little missions do we forget along the way? Th- this Egyptian guy is laid there. I mean, he's about dead. In all honesty. And these guys are marching for their wives and their children and all their stuff back. And yet they still take time, notice it, for this interruption. They stop and they they ask this Egyptian guy, do you want something to drink? Yeah, yeah, I'm dying of thirst. My master just left me here and I've got nothing to drink. you want something to eat? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how much time it took, but it says after he was strengthened but by the food and drink that he got, right? After he was strengthened, this slave, After they had paused from their greater mission and refused to ignore something. See, maybe that's part part of our problem sometimes. We get so busy with other stuff that we forget God's greatest command of love. We forget God's greatest concern of loving people and and having concern and uh, hospitality for people. You know, it's one of the one of the greatest things we do, because how we love others is really how we love God. That's what he says. Right. So they, they get this guy back to strength and they ask him, hey, man. And and I love this because if you're reading this, you know, not knowing exactly what's going to happen on on this whole thing, it's almost like they cared even more about this man's physical well-being. It's one thing to feed somebody and give them a drink, right? It's another thing to sit down with them and say, hey man, who are you? Did you catch that part? They're now showing a deep concern for this guy. It's not just a, well, here's your water bottle, here's a slice of bread, we got stuff to do, we're going about our business. They sit down with the guy, and ask, hey, hey, who are you? Like, where, where are you from? Like, what, what's really going on? We're not only called to feed and give the thirsty drink. We're called to show a deep concern. A caring concern for those that are less fortunate than ourselves. And David and his men do that. And because they do that, listen to this guy's answer. <laughs> you know, the Amalekites, they were on a raid. While they were on a raid, they took everything from from Zig Lag, where we just left. And and, and and we were on the way back and I got sick and, and and really thirsty and hungry and depleted. My 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 owner just left me right here. Can you imagine the thoughts going through David and his men's head when this guy says this? Hold on. You were with who? I was with the Amalekites. They're, they're right up here. Hold on they're way. You know where they're at? Oh yeah, yeah. I marched down with them, and and I was getting ready to march back. I know exactly where they're at. Why are you guys like looking for them? Some people would call this a coincidence or a quinky dinky, right? You know what this is? This is a godsend. This is a godsend. Yeah, there's some GPS stuff working right here, right? GPS told them to stop, and they're like, "Why am I stopping? Because you need the directions this guy's this guy's got right here. He knows the shortcut, right? Think about it. How long would it have took them to find the Amalekites had they not? Met up with the guy who's made the journey multiple times with the Amalekites, right? What looked like an interruption was God's providence. What looked like an interruption was God's divine means of leading David and his men right to where they needed to be. If David had not stopped to love on his neighbor, I don't believe he'd have found the Amalekites in time, or at least not as fast as he did. Right. In the New Testament, we're filled with examples of interruptions. Jesus himself, right? He's on the way to actually help someone else and the lady who's bleeding stops him. Do, do you remember the story? How easy would it have been to say, look, woman, I am God's son. I don't have time for you right now. I'm going to heal somebody else. But he don't say that. does he say? He says, oh, you got a problem? You t- oh, you touched my garment? Let, let me tell you a little lesson about when you touch my garment with faith. And he, boom, spent time. Or, or he preached this 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 parable on the Good Samaritan. And you remember how strict and harsh he was on the Levite and the priest who were too busy to stop by. And then he then he commends the great the great Samaritan, the good Samaritan, because the good Samaritan's focus was on God's interruptions being opportunities to serve poor people. And he saw that and he didn't. He took off with it. It was Luke chapter 10, right? You should never be so busy that you can't stop for your neighbor. Man, think about if we had some more of that kind of love going on, guys. Think about what, what kind of, what kind of love and opportunities could really be out there if we would open our eyes. If we're going with God, we open our eyes to see those opportunities. We don't, nobody likes to be interrupted. Nobody. But you look at interruptions differently when you're going with God. Maybe your interruption is the main purpose of the journey you're on. Right? And what you've been viewing as a distraction was really just a divine appointment that God had set up to get you where you're really supposed to be going. So that he can say, man, if you're looking for them, I know exactly the route they take and where they're going. Right. Look at this perseverance during this time. Right. I point this out because it's one thing to start out in faith. It's another thing to persevere through all the difficulties. These guys were wore out. They travel 25 miles a day for three days in a row to get home. I can't imagine how tired they are at this point right now, still traveling and traveling faster because they know they have to catch what's ahead of them. Right. But yet they still pursue and persevere to see things through to the end. We got a lot of great starters in church. We do. We got people who come up with a great idea, who get excited about it, who have set everything up, and then that's it. You had a good idea. You talked about it. You might even decorated the room for it. But then nobody ever filled the room. Nothing was ever done in the room. Nothing was accomplished in the lives of the people that could have been accomplished, right? Because we got a lot of starters. Not a lot of finishers. We need more finishers. God's looking for finishers. In chapter 30, verses 16 through 20 right here, this slave leads David right to the Amalekites. And anybody's translation got twilight there? Oh, good. Y'all got, y'all got good Bibles. All right. I point out there's a lot of translations that I was looking at. I can't remember which one or, or which ones because it was both ones had the word twilight. And I think that's, that's, that's kind of a bad, a bad translation. And I think it changes everything. And the reason I can, I can prove that is this. The Hebrew word nisip that's right there uh, is actually translated dawn in Job chapter seven and Psalm 119 and a couple other areas of scriptures. And you're wondering why, why are you spending time to tell us that? Like, why is that so important? Because if you think they attacked at twilight, what's that mean? It was dark. All right. So here's what you're saying. Picture the scene. Now, again, you got to have a picture. It said that when they came upon the Amalekites from the hill, they looked down and they saw them doing what? Same thing y'all did last night. I mean, you know, Yeah, they were partying. Right, that was just a joke, okay? It's not a comment. Right? You come to the altar at the end and, and <laughs> think about it. It says that they were partying. It says that they were having a feast. It said that they were they were going crazy dancing. It was a good party, right? You know when the dancing starts? It's a good party. Alright? It's nothing to do. With it. So if we read it as it happened at twilight, what does that tell us? No, no, no. The battle happened at twilight. It means that they came down in the middle of the party. Man, if you a smart warrior. And this is why the word means so much, right? You're a smart warrior. They're out there partying. Here's what you do. And here's what I think David did, proven by the word. You tell all your men, hey, guys, take a power now. We're going to sit right here on this hill. We're going to sleep for just a little while. And at and at dawn, the word that's actually used, and at dawn when the sun comes up and all them suckers over the hills having a hangover and they can't do a whole lot and they tired and they wore out, we're going to go down there and whoop some tail." Right, We're already outnumbered, and the only way to fight a guy who's bigger than you and got more numbers than you is get him good and drunk so he can't fight good. right? I think this is what he does. I'm not even joking right now. I'm being dead serious. Picture the scene. It said that he waited until dawn and then attacked, and then they did fight. Don't get me wrong. All day long. It was a big battle. Okay, But David is a smart warrior. Some of us need to start fighting smarter. We don't wait for the opportune time, and it shows by how many bruises and cuts we've got on us from the battles we've been in. Now, not to say the battle of bruises and cuts ain't bad, okay? Scar, scar, chicks dig scars, right? Right? It, it, it does something for you. It does. It really does. But, but David gets smart here. And it's still not an easy fight. They're already tired, but they're persevering through this entire thing to win the battle, to recover their wives and their children and their flocks and their herds. And in this section of scripture in 16 through 20, it says that they got back everything. James says this in 112, Talk about perseverance, bringing reward. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he received the crown that God promised him. God has made us some promises. God made them some promises. Remember in verse 8, it said, you will surely overtake him. Without fail, you get everything back. What do they get back? Everything. And here's a huge lesson for a lot of us, guys, because a lot of us want to do the sit back and let God kind of thing uh, uh, happen. Here, here's how the promise gets fulfilled exactly. It wasn't fulfilled as David sat back doing nothing. It was fulfilled because David went to action. Okay, the Lord fulfilled his promise and he used David's action. Don't, don't, don't miss that. God's promise didn't exclude David's cooperation. God's promise invited his cooperation. You've got some promises from God that have invited your cooperation and you need to get involved in it. And until you get involved, maybe that's why you haven't got the promise and the fulfilling of the promise that you've been told. Going with God means that you bring God along through every step of the way so that you can view everything differently, so that you can see those interruptions as opportunities and so that you can persevere through all the trials until you get to the finish line. And they get to the finish line and they win this battle. And, and, And you can think of those 400 guys, how excited they were, right? I mean, they ended the battle with all their stuff and a couple of Malachites just fleeing in the background. Man, they probably were smiling. Guys, we did it. We did what we shouldn't have been able to do. We accomplished. Let's pick up everything, and then greed takes over. Because look at thir- 21 through 25, and there's the last lesson we need to remember: we as believers have to do as God does. Also, we not only start with God, we not only go with God. We got to do as God does, even when it doesn't seem like what we would want to do. 21 through 25. Here's what happens: you can, try, you can You can maybe write this down as showing grace. David. David gets another problem. They've collected all the plunder. They're excited. They're fired up. They just won this battle. Things have been really, really cool. Who knows what all they've collected. And they get back to that brook to get a drink. And when they stop to get a drink, there's 200 men that they had left there, remember, that were too exhausted to go on. And there's 200 men say, man, I, I want some of this plunder. And it says that there's 400, I think it calls them wicked, does it not? Wicked, corrupt men forget all about what God had did and start focusing on what they had did. And because they focus on what they had did, what do they say? Oh, no, if you didn't fight, you don't get to share in the plunder. You didn't get involved. You don't get to. Luckily, David is right there and he hears this. And before it gets to be too big of a thing and too big of a fight, he stops and says, guys, hold on. This isn't our plunder anyway. This is God's. God is who won this fight for us. Everything that you and I have is the Lord's, and we're just stewards of it. God is the one who gave us the plunder. God is the one who watched over us and protected us in battle. And if God has been good to us, shouldn't we be good to others? Maybe that's a question for you this morning. If God's been so good to you, shouldn't you be good to some other people? Look at what it says. David makes this statue in verse 24. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is the same as that that went down into the battle. We'll all share alike. Now, we get a little bit of an answer here, guys. I don't know if you catch that. Not only is David making this new statue, statue for, for Israel for days to come, but we also see what he told the men to do back when they stopped at the brook. So it wasn't just 200 people that stopped and retire. When they stopped, here's what I think happened. Kind of stand in the middle by the evidence I see in scripture. Here's what I think happened. I think they stopped. They were too tired. And David said, you know what? If you guys are going to stay here, we can unload our bags. There's no need for us to tote heavy bags when we don't have to when you guys can stand here and guard them in case something comes back over to hill. Dave's a smart guy, man. Genius when it comes to battle. All right. So I think he stopped there and he gave them all the supplies and all the extra things that they didn't need to tote. So they now have a job to do. Are you catching it? See, God knows your weaknesses. He knows what you can handle and what you can't. And when you can't handle something, he'll give you a different job to do Then Isn't that cool? Because that's what happens. Because he tells them this right here. No, guys, the guys who guard this stuff, they get stuff, too, because they had a job. Like, it, it wasn't the same job as yours, but they had a job. It's kind of like for today. Everybody's going to watch Super Bowl, right? Y'all know. You should pray and repent for that. Right? All good people will watch the Super Bowl today, whether your team is in it or not. You know, everybody who wins the Super Bowl gets a ring. Gets a ring. Every single one of them. I don't care if you had five minutes of play time or, or all 60 minutes of play time. I don't care if you were injured and didn't get no play time. I don't care if you sat on the bench and never got into the game. You get a ring if you made the 54-man roster. Right? This squad don't get one. All right? 54 people when realistically they only average 25 players actively playing the entire time. So almost double. Right? But all 54 that made the roster get in a ring because they're on the team. Everything we have, guys, is a gift from God, and God shows his grace to us, and we should be showing our grace to others. Especially, because here's the hardest one for us to show grace on, if we're honest. That's why I only mention this, this one extra thing, with forgiveness. We've been forgiven. Shouldn't we do some forgiving? That's a hard one, though, right? Ephesians 4 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And we're dumb enough to ask this question right after someone tells us that. What if they don't deserve it? Did you? Did you? Because here's the fact. If you deserved it, it wasn't grace. If they deserve it, it's not grace. Maybe some of us that are sitting here right now, we're we're like the guys who are just stubborn and wanting to keep everything. God's telling you, just just release it to other people, man. Just just give so that I can bless you more. Maybe some of us are like the soldier sidelined at the brook. Maybe some of us are tired, we're weary, we're unable to go on, and we just need to acknowledge our weaknesses and see what else God's got for us to do. And understand this, that God loves you anyway. God loves you even when you can't go on. God's so crazy about it; he's going to make sure that you couldn't go on. He's going to bring you back something that's going to energize you to go on to the rest of the fight, going back down, going back home. Right? Because we're not only called to to, do, to, to have some grace, we're called to be generous to people. I love the things that happened in 26 through 31. Now, I'm not going to read those city names because I can't. Thank you, Clifford. <laughs> Way to beat a brother down, man. That's upper room bond right there. You can't do it because you're dumb. Correct. You are correct 100%. Give me some numbers. We'll be good. Give me words. We're in trouble. <laughs> guy has been so generous to David. Notice they call it David's plunder. I think it's cool. David's taken his personal plunder, his personal plunder now, guys. And he's given it to people who weren't even there. Look at what it says. He shares his personal plunder with various cities in Judah. 13 cities get listed. He's sharing what rightfully belongs to him. Now you look at this a couple ways. Some of that plunder probably came from them raiding the other cities. But law says this, if you recovered it, it is yours. I point that out to say this, it's rightfully David's. He doesn't have to give away anything, but he does. But he does. Not only does he do that, here's what I also think is happening in this in this section, because we know what's happening in 2 Samuel when we get kicked off with that, right? This is a great way for David to mend some broken relationships. Now you imagine if you're in these various cities that have been attacked, you're in the cities and you've heard about David turning over, and going wall with the enemy, what your thoughts could be, right? Maybe you were some of the outskirts cities that that maybe even David was near the raiding that he was doing back in a couple chapters ago, right? And for David to send this plunder to you freely, not because you asked, not because you deserved it or anything else, how quickly that can mend a broken relationship. Sometimes we got to go above and beyond to mend broken relationships. Sometimes we got to start going above and beyond to, to restore our reputation with those outside and it's okay to do that in the same way paul encouraged the corinthians in 2 corinthians chapter eight he said for you know the grace of the lord jesus christ that he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich wow wow god was gracious to us god shared with us so that we can do this stuff to others. And just just something neat, because I think God likes to put a cherry on top at the end of a good chapter. When you list these 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 cities, these, I'm oh, sorry, it's four, I keep saying 13, it's 14 cities. Some of y'all are counting, you're like, Pastor, can't count. No, 14. When, when you list these 14 cities, it starts where? Look, Just look at the first one and the last one. I think this is the cherry, man. Ziglag, right? Y'all should know that, because we've been talking about a battle in Ziglag the entire time. I know you've been listening, I know you're behaving right. Ziglag, it starts where? Where, where was Ziglag... For David. That's where he started living with the enemy. So you could call it his home, but it was his backslidden home. The last city listed is what? Hebron. Notice it's the only two cities I could say, so God really is giving me a cherry, right? Hebron. Here's what's cool about Hebron, guys. Hebron is the place that David gets crowned king. The end of the chapter... List 14 cities that start where David went AWOL and started living with the enemy, right? A, a series of tragedy, and it ends with a place where he's crowned king, a place of triumph. Chapter 30 begins with a cherry on top saying that something that begins with tragedy can end with triumph. Is that not something Yahweh just does throughout scripture over and over? I mean, that's, that's just good stuff right there, man, right? And as we wrap this up, we gotta remember if we want to get this stuff, we gotta start with God too. We gotta we got to operate on God's plan and not our own plan. We gotta go with God so we don't miss opportunities and, and look at Him as interruptions. We gotta do what God's told us to do, so that our testimony is restored, so so that we don't miss out and get doomed on selfishness, right? And David, we've said it a hundred times in this series. David is a model for Christ. What did Christ say in John chapter six, verse thirty eight? For I have come down from heaven to do not my will, but the will of him who sent me, my father. Jesus said, I did everything God's way. You've got a choice this morning, church. You can continue like Saul doing things your way, half hearted, halfway, a little bit of religion, a little bit of the world. And and you'll get what Saul gets. Destruction. Or you can do things like David, like Christ, who says, I'm going to do it God's way. no, No matter what I feel. No matter what the emotions are telling me to do. David's a remarkable picture of Christ in this thing. And may, maybe us is, is one of these other things. Just, just picture these as we, we wrap up. last five things. We're like David's men if David is Jesus. Sometimes we turn on Jesus, don't we? Sometimes we begin to follow, right? We're like the weary ones left behind. David is Jesus. He comes back to restore us. He comes back to, to fill us up. He lets us sit and rest. We're like the Egyptian slave. David is Jesus. We've been cast out by the world. The world sees us as worthless and useless and we're about to die. And yet Jesus comes along and gives us food, drink, and actually has concern about who we are. We're like the spoiled David recovered and David is like Jesus, right? He's going to share us with the world. We're like the elders of Judah and David is like Jesus. Church, where are you at this morning in this story? Where are you at in this chapter? Where are you at in this series? You know, for, for, for 1 Samuel, this is the last time we see David. We don't see him next chapter. We just get to focus back on Saul's, Saul's ending. But, but the contrast that happens throughout this whole thing is just greatness, man. It's just greatness. And the songs today, I don't know if you caught some of the lyrics in them. Yes, I will. Yeah, that's David. God, I'm going to do it your way. Yes, I will. Come as you are. That, that's the whole story. The whole story, he's just telling them, no, you, you come exactly like you are. You ain't, you ain't got to do nothing special. I'm going to pick you up and bring you in. Right? Who are you in the story? And what's God saying to you this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we're so excited about this chapter. We're excited about not only what you did in the lives of David and his soldiers, but God, knowing that you can do that same thing in our lives. God, I pray right now that you use your words in this chapter, God, to impact the life of every person in here. God, you've brought everybody here today, not by coincidence, God, but by God's sense. God, your word spoken in this chapter was for every single person in this room. God, just open their heart and their mind and their, their eyes, Lord God, to see exactly which parts for them. Maybe multiple parts, Lord God, if they're like me. Lord, I pray now that you do that, God, that you connect with your people. And Lord God, there's an opportunity, Lord God, for your people to connect back with you. God, continue to use your word, Lord God, to impact us. In your great name we pray. Amen.